0: In investing, mindset is the biggest thing.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. Hey! I'm tyron Shum and in this episode, we're chatting with property investor and founder of Your Property, Your Wealth, Daniel Walsh. In this Q&A episode, we find out about the advantages of having an offset account, What debts you should be looking to pay down first? The best way to buy property when you're overseas and much, much more. Continuing on from the last Q&A, we received more questions. So I invited property expert Daniel Walsh back on this episode to answer your questions. So let's jump straight in. Alright, we have another question from Drew. My wife and I have a running debate for a while and we'd like you to be the referee. We are in our mid-40s with young teenagers and still have around about $200,000 left in our home loan to pay. Is it better for us to use the money we have left over at the end of each month paying down our home loan or should we park it in our mortgage offset account? Now our portfolio is generating about $20,000 a year currently and we want to buy another investment property so we can have at least $100,000 income from our property portfolio by the time we retire. What are your thoughts?
0: Typically, what I would say is I'm like i a fan of putting money in an offset account until I've worked out where I'm going to be using the money. Now, the reason being is I know that in an offset account, it's my money and I can do what I will with that. Um, So, instead of putting it into the home loan and if I do put it into a home loan, I would want to know why. So, generally, if I'm putting money into my home loan, I would be doing that because I want to recycle that debt and change that back into deductible debt. They've they've done quite well in terms of they've got a portfolio that's creating 20 grand income, but they want to create 100. So they're going to need to build their property portfolio and continue building the property portfolio. Obviously, they're in their mid 40s. So they've got time, you know, they've got roughly 20 years. The the very first focus would be, are they going to stay in their own home that they live in? And if they are, we're going to continue to pay down that non-deductible debt. So that's what I'd be doing is saying, let's keep getting rid of that debt. I would be putting it into an offset account until I've worked out what we're doing with it. The only way that I would put it into the home loan is if I was going to refinance it back out. The reason being is, is, let's say we put $100,000 into the offset account. If I was to then use the offset, $100,000 to go buy an investment property, well, that $100,000 is treated as cash. It's not a loan. So what we've done is we've increased the home loan, which is non-deductible debt, And we've now put that $100,000 into the investment property. So to get it the right way around, what we need to do is then put that money from the offset into the home loan. Then we need to refinance it back out. So it's all deductible debt. And then we go buy the investment property. So I think the most important thing, and, and it comes down to your cash buffer. I always like to think of an offset as a cash buffer. It's an emergency fund. So the larger the emergency fund, the less risk you're taking on at that point. So, I would say put it into an offset account until you know what you're going to do with that money.
1: Walsh tells us more about recycling a debt and refinancing it and how doing that can help you.
0: What you're doing is you're looking at the in what are you trying to do with that money and what's the intentions for tax purposes, right? So, if you're paying down your own home. Your own home is classified as non-deductible debt, meaning you can't claim any deductions on it because it's not income reducing. It's not giving you any income at all. So it's not an investment property. So whenever you're paying down debt, the very first thing you got to do is look at and say, what's the best debt to pay down? Non-deductible debt's is the best, best debt to pay down. Um, if you want to change debt into deductible debt, now, let's say that you have a house and it's worth 300, it's got a debt on it of $300,000, but it's worth $600,000. That equity in between, you can use up to 80% of that. What you can do with that debt is you you can go back and get the equity out of that, the, the portion. Let's say you can get $200,000 out. You get the equity. You now use that equity for investment property. So you've now changed the purpose of the debt. And it's now, the way you've got to think about it is, I borrowed $100,000 from my own home. I now used $100,000 for an investment property. That investment property basically inherits that $100,000 debt, not your own home, because it's all deductible debt at that point because you used it for an investment purpose, which is an income-producing asset.
1: He talks to us about his reasoning behind paying off non-deductible debts first.
0: Mainly because most people pay taxes. Obviously, like you go to work, you got to pay your tax each year. So if you get a tax bill of $10,000, $20,000 per year, what we're doing at that point is saying, okay, why would I, let's say that I'm gonna put it into my own home, the money into your own home is non-deductible debt, meaning that you can't offset any of your income tax from your own home. So you've gotta get rid of that first because it's not really doing anything for you. But you don't wanna be paying down the debt on deductible debt, meaning investment debt, When you've got non deductible debt, because if you're paying down the debt on investments, then what's happening is you're actually paying down your own tax bill, meaning you're not gonna get as much back from your tax because you're paying down the debt, which is the interest portion. So let's say you get charged $10,000 a year of interest on the investment property, but if you pay it off, you're getting charged nothing. If you get charged nothing, you've got nothing to claim, right, on the interest portion. But if you still have the full debt on the investment property, you get to claim that interest, you get to claim that as a deduction on your tax so you're going to to get some of that back depending on how your tax tax structure is.
1: We learn about mortgage offset accounts and whether there are any specifics we should know about when setting one up.
0: So generally, there's no cost uh, involved in terms of setting one up, most people will let you set them up. So it's, it's almost like the same way as a line of credit. It's almost like a line of credit, but line of credits are getting harder and harder to come by and they cost more money to set up uh, in terms of fees. So when you access your offset account, basically what you're doing, let's say you have 50,000, let's say you have a $400,000 mortgage and you have $50,000 in the offset account you're only going to be paying interest on $350,000, not the full $400,000 because you've got $50,000 in the offset account. Now, with that $50,000, if you go out there and buy a boat with it, now you've taken the money out of the offset account, that, that portion is going to go back up. So it's, if it's the whole fifty dollars now you're paying interest on your home loan on the $400,000 again at, at the interest rate that you're getting charged. So that's the difference between, I guess, how you use the money and what the tax purposes is. So if you are using the money or taking the money out, you aren't going to be saving that in interest on your own home. Again, interest is charged daily. So whatever's in the account is what how you get charged upon that.
1: Basically what would be important to note is that if you're going to take money out of your offset account, anytime that money goes out, it will be charged interest. So whether you go and buy a boat as you said or buy a car, you'll be charged interest on that amount. Or, you know, smart strategy in our in my opinion in in most cases is to take those funds out and reinvest it into a property which would help you help pay that interest as well.
0: It's definitely not the smartest move to go out there and buy a new car or go out there and, you know, buy a boat or anything like that because you're gonna be paying interest. You're gonna be paying interest somewhere, whether you go get a car loan or you know, a personal loan, it's just about what's the best Loan to have at that point. Generally, it's coming off your mortgage. If you're going to do it from your mortgage, I would always say do it off your mortgage at that point rather than going to get a six or 10%. I've seen people literally come to me and have $200,000 worth of equity in their home and they've got a $10,000 credit card, but they're paying 15 or 20% interest. I'm like, why would you pay 15 to 20% interest on a credit card when you can refinance that into your home and pay three or 4%? It's it all comes down to you know what's the best scenario for you.
1: There is a smarter way to save money if you want to have a credit card, as Walsh explains to us.
0: A lot of people, what they do is they'll actually go buy they'll they'll actually go put everything on a credit card because it's a separate. it's, It's almost like they know where the bill is and they don't want it on their own home because they're like, well, I've I've been paying off my own house for so many years. I don't want to put it on my home loan, but. But you're saving ten percent, so why wouldn't you put it on your home loan? Because at the end of the day, money's money. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. It's where is it going to be best saved. So the credit card, yes, it's on a credit card and it's in a different place, but you're still going to be paying more over that period of time to pay it down. Whereas you just put it into your own home, you're going to be paying, you know, ten percent less.
1: Well, shares with us a story about how he was able to save money because of how he chose to structure the payment.
0: I've got actually a scenario so I recently just bought a car and instead of me paying so what I what I did was I looked at the car and was like okay I'm gonna go put this on a full finance now I had the cash to do it now the reason why I didn't go pay buy it with cash is because my cash is my buffer it's it's how I you know my emergency funds but as long as I had the amount of cash that it was to cost for the actual car what I did was go get a loan the loan was I think four percent yet I save about four and a half, five percent percent on interest if I put it in an offset account. So what I did was I said, instead of me actually paying cash for and owning it cash, I put my cash in an offset account saving me 5% and I go get a loan at 4% so I've now just made myself 1% at that point instead of buying it with cash so it's actually beneficial to do it that way and I've still got the money to buy it cash if I wanted to, it's just it's a smarter way of doing it.
1: Alright, well let's move on to the next question. We've got an interesting one from Mike. He says, my wife and I are both 32 and have two young children. I make about $200,000 per year after tax, that's fantastic Mike and we have about $200,000 in the bank with about $40,000 in the share market. We have been saving for a 20% deposit for a house hence the large sum of cash but we have now moved to the USA for a three-year period possibly for work. Now we've never bought a house in Australia as it seems too overvalued. We bought a house in the USA but I'm really worried we'll never be able to afford a house in Australia if prices keep going up at 4 to 6% a year which we want to buy say a million dollar house. It might seem a little bit uh, of a (laughs) middle class problem but this is really stressing me out to be at the point I'm losing sleep over it. I really want to make sure I don't mess things up for my wife and children and that I can create a comfortable life for them. Question is what should we do to make sure we can afford a house when we come back to Australia?
0: I guess the first thing they need to look at is can they borrow while they're over there and buy a house here so that they're not wasting three years while they're over there and if if house prices grow where they want to be then they may be continually struggling to buy into that market. So, um, one of the things is obviously they they were waiting to be able to buy a house which they should have just bought a house. I always say to someone, look, if you're going to buy your own home, you're going to stay in it for 10, 15, 20 years. And that's the, the long-term thing that you're going to do. Buy a house when you can. You know, you're know, you not timing bottoms. You're not timing uh, where the market is at that point generally because nobody knows for sure. And if you look at it from a period of say, I'm going to buy this now and I'm going to live in it for 15 years, you've got to look at that and say, do I think this asset or do I think this property will be worth more in 15 years' time? If it's going to be worth more in 15 years' time, you buy the asset. You know, You don't you don't wait to time the bottom. A lot of people I've seen over years have, have waited to time the bottom for 20 years. They've waited for the recession or they've waited for the downturn. Um, and and that's one of the key things is if you've got the money, then you buy in when you can, as long as you're comfortable with buying in. Um, one of the things is obviously he's going to be over there for three years. He's saving money, obviously saving very well. Um, he's got 200 grand in cash. I mean, he may look to build a property portfolio and do it that way. Or if he just wants to own his own home, I would say, try and do it even while you're over there and then rent it out here. You know, if he can do that while he's here, um, again, though, he's got to look at the tax purposes and and all of that from an accountant perspective. um, It's just that the risk that he will run is three years from now, they'll be more expensive.
1: Yeah, that's totally cool and that's what I I thought as well too because even if he buys that home that he really wants to live in down the track and, um, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to live in it right now, three years down track comes back, it could be something that could be a DIY. So... Necessarily, most people who actually buy a home usually want to do something to it to make it even more comfortable for them. But if they get it, you know, at this point in time that they can afford, they rent it out, you know, for that period of time to be able to firstly cover, I guess, parts of the interest because you know with a million dollar home you won't be able to have rent that will cover that. But at least you know they're getting in the market. Um, that's the first thing. But second thing as well, I see is that um, if it's something that they bought a little bit that could potentially add value to it. Um, and and they could you know maybe add additional rooms or whatever they want to do to it for their family home, then there's an opportunity for it to actually have capital growth because if you hold it for long enough, as we've talked about, the cycle goes from seven to ten years, it will you know eventually double in price. So. When you think about it, for a million dollar homes in ten years' time, it'll be what two million dollars. It makes sense to jump in, you know, as soon as you can afford it.
0: I've seen people that have waited three, four years, and especially like what the Sydney market did, three to four years. You know, on a on a million dollar home five years ago was now you know basically eight hundred thousand dollars worth of capital gain now. That may not happen over the next five years, but even if it goes up an extra hundred or $200,000, it was probably a lot better to jump jump in now if it's going to be your long-term home when you come back. Um, what I would say is if you can borrow while you're over in the USA to buy a home, um, what I would probably do is obviously engage where, you, where you're looking to buy um, and it's going to be a family home, engage a good buyers agent around the area so that they can get what you want and be able to get you a really good price for that as well. Um, that way you don't have the stress of picking out the houses and all of that because you're overseas uh, and you can then you know, have peace of mind that you've got the home because obviously that's keeping him up at night is that he can't buy the home uh, that he wants to buy and he's, he's going to really go for the next three years of I hope that house prices don't keep going back up. Um, we're seeing the bounce back right now obviously you know the time of recording this we're seeing the bounce back now of Sydney um, that would put more stress on somebody you know wanting to jump into the market so I think it's just better off to look at it and say can I afford it is it something that I want to live in long term and is it the property that I want and if it is and you're going to come back in three years time rent it out in between and then come back and then do it up if you need to do that.
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into where a lot of people go wrong when trying to build their portfolio.
0: A lot of people go wrong in terms of they buy one investment, then they go, I'm going to have to pay this down quite significantly to then go to the next one. It's not always the case.
1: How property is like a business and the people around you can make a huge impact.
0: If I have the right people on my team, they're going to manage my property for me just like I would if I had a business.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, are you enjoying the Q and A session with Daniel? If so, please keep sending your questions through. Also, I've asked Daniel Walsh to do something special for you, my listeners, just to say thank you for listening. When you sign up to get a copy of his ebook, Zero to Three Point Five Million Dollars in Six Years: Five Steps to High Performance Property Investment and Quote Property investory, you'll get fifty percent off a strategy session with Daniel. He'll personally put together a property plan during this session which is the first step to building a successful portfolio. To claim your special offer, simply visit yourpropertyyourwealth.com.au or text 0431-251-609 and quote property invest story. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, This one's from Damien. Me and my wife made a mistake late in life. We bought a house and sold it back in 2000. So we're not 1st home buyers. We're 50 looking to get into the property train and have a good income for about $180,000 per year. We have about $4,500 per month in disposable income that we can put into property. That's fantastic. Given everything I've learned and heard from you, how could a couple now 50 without available cash make their way through to give themselves a passive income by mid-60s earning 80 dollars to $100,000 per year in passive income? Now, we were thinking of buying a house for around $450,000 perhaps on the north side of Brisbane and we could smash it out as much as we could in a year and a half, build up some equity and then buy and move on to the second house with maybe a bit of renovation between. So, my question to you is how do people of our age group get into the property ladder and make this happen for the
0: One of the things is to note is the age, right? So, 50s. Um, you know, you're getting into the to the bracket of the later stages of your life where you probably want to enjoy some of your life. Um, but you also have a small time frame to be able to create what you want. You've got a really good income and disposable income, which is great. So you, I guess, will be able to build a property portfolio a lot quicker and also pay down some debt in, in terms of, you know, probably doing it more of a sound way. I'd be sticking to those sort of properties that she was talking about at Northern Suburbs of Brisbane, $450,000. You're quite comfortable there with a good rental return, also good long-term capital growth. And you could also change those to principal and interest maybe within a two to three year period or even pay principal and interest straight away on one or two of them. I wouldn't be too focused on paying down all of the debt on that Brisbane property if that was where she was going to go um, just yet because she's still in the building phases. You know, you've still got to build the asset base before you then start to consolidate. Um, You don't want to be, you know, a lot of people go wrong in terms of they buy one investment then they go, I'm going to have to pay this down quite significantly to then go to the next one. It's not always the case. Yes, we want to start paying down some debt. Um, but we want to also be able to build the largest asset base we can first and then we start paying down some debt. So I think the biggest thing is to be conscious of the timeframes that she has and that's 10 years so she's going to have to build the portfolio as quick as possible. Did you say she had 180000 in cash?
1: They've got income of 180000 per year and $4,500 per month of disposable income
0: so they're almost saving a deposit a year you know it's pretty close pretty close to a deposit a year so that compounding with capital growth over time plus you know the rents uh, coming in as well so depending on their cash position at the, mo- at, the at the time they may have 100,000 200,000 or more sitting in cash that they can then straight away put that into property um, and they might be able to build themselves a nice little asset base straight away i think that one of their I think because they're in the later stage of their life, I would probably be more focused on, like they said, building the portfolio and getting an asset that's producing them income. So passive income over the next 10 years instead of paying their own home off because it's going to take a lot longer to pay their own home off and they're still not going to have passive income at the end of it. So they're going to really need the passive income to pay for wherever they live at that point. $100,000 might be able to do that for them if that's, that's what they want. Um, But I think that it's going to come down to really buying affordable properties, uh, you know, Brisbane and make sure that they're buying in the right time of the cycle in the right um, state more importantly so that they're going to get that uplifting growth over the next three to five years to be able to keep leveraging.
1: Walsh discusses the strategy of leveraging off equity that you have in a property in order to purchase your next property and maybe the property after that.
0: If they put a 20% deposit down on the first one and they created, you know, let's say they made thirty or $40,000 straight away in year one, they can, you know, get that thirty to $40,000 out, combine that with the savings within that next year, you know, they've already got themselves the next deposit, they're already into the second property and they could do that for, you know, three, four or five properties. Again, they're going to need to establish a base. If they want a hundred grand passive income, basically they're going to need $2 million um, worth of property owned outright if they wanted to do it down that you know go down that track that's on a five percent return um so they already know the base that they want they need to own to own two million outright so what i would say is you're going to need to build a base portfolio of two million dollars that two million over the next 10 to 15 years will grow to a, a four million dollar plus um and if you can get it to say four million dollars and you're paying down debt over that time then you'll be able to create a hundred thousand dollar plus income uh doing that So it's quite a safe way of doing it because they're saving well. So because they're saving so well, they've got uh, a lot of time to be able to pay down some debt over the time that they're building the portfolio. But I think they just need to not get too caught up on paying one investment property off and actually keep building the property portfolio rather than just reducing the debt once they've built the $2 million portfolio or $2.5 million portfolio, then they can start turning around and say, you know what, we really focus on the debt, um, you know, paying down the debt over time now to create the income.
1: It's a really, really good point and I guess to add to that strategy as well, if they are interested, they could also do some renovations on it to add value to the properties so they can accelerate the actual equity creation. So, manufacturing the equity much faster than waiting for the, the actual property price to actually grow over a period of time because, as you know, they've only got maybe 10, 15 years left. We don't want to be waiting 10 years for the property price to double for each property, you know, to be able to accumulate to that face. So some of the strategies there are quite good to be able to do and if they can actually manufacture that equity in the properties they buy, it really, really helps them to add to that. So also to maybe touch on diversification, um, they've been interested in purchasing in Brisbane. There are other markets all across Australia to be able to help them. A lot of people sort of take a step back and go, gosh, you know, I'm living in Brisbane, I don't know if I can buy interstate, you know, how how do I manage that property interstate? That's been a big, big common question. How does somebody like them be able to purchase multiple properties in different states to ensure that it continues to grow and then also to help them balance out and have that opportunity to ride the waves in each different markets?
0: The first thing we'll touch on is why do we diversify instead of just buying everything in one state? Um, I recognised this very early on in my career in investing, and that was that you know the Perth market had you know really taken a hit, and I thought to myself, imagine if I had all of my portfolio in Perth, you know, you might be waiting five or ten years for to make any money out of that, um, and you may have taken a hit of twenty percent at that point, and you're going to have to sit. On that for the next ten years, just to break even. So you've really got to be careful, um, and this is where diversification comes in. You know, if you had a bought one in, you know, let's say five years ago, you bought one in Perth, one in Brisbane, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Well, you would have done quite well. Yes, the Perth one went down, but the the Brisbane one went up, and oh, sorry, the the Brisbane one would have went up a, a bit, and then we would have had really good growth on the Sydney one and the Melbourne one. So your overall portfolio is doing quite well at that that point. So. It, it's not only minimizing land tax which is another thing but it's it's minimizing the overall risk to the portfolio and maximizing the growth potential for the portfolio now in terms of being able to invest into state this is a common question where people are a bit scared because they want to be able to touch and feel and drive past their property i have properties like that were three streets away from me and i don't even want to see them it's not really my it's not really my thing i run it as a business and it's whatever the best business decision is for me to buy that property. So I would no longer buy around where I live because I don't believe it's going to grow. So why buy an asset that's not going to do anything for me when I can go buy that somewhere else that is? Now, in terms of being able to buy interstate, I think it's very uh, important to make sure that you have the right team of people in the state that you're trying to purchase right, or somebody that has that level of experience to be able to get you into the market that you're looking at. Um, because you're not going to really understand that market. You're not going going to understand how to find solicitors or pest and building inspectors and build that team out. So, leveraging somebody else to build the team out for you already have the team ready for you to go. In terms of managing the property, I mean, that comes down to really good management in terms of property management.
1: It is important to have someone that you can trust to make the best decisions for you in a market that you're not physically in.
0: Now, I see a lot of people, they'll choose a property manager just on the basis that, oh, you know, they're 6% and the other one's 7%. Because they're 6%, I'll go with them. Like, that's the wrong way to choose a property manager. You you might be spending half a million dollars plus even on an asset, and then you're not really worried about how they're looking after it. You're more worried about how much, you know, are you going to save $2 a week? So instead of looking at the savings, look at how good are these property managers, what they do, and what can they do for me interstate? Now, getting a good property manager, they they should be able to pay all your bills for you in terms of rate notices. They should be able to pay um, maintenance bills and they should be looking after your property from a maintenance perspective as well. So, you shouldn't have to be, like a business, you shouldn't have to be going out there and attending to those issues. That's what you're paying them to do. Um, So, you know, interviewing property managers, I I do it, I actually put it in my ebook on how to interview a property manager. And the reason I did that is because it's one of the most important things you need to know is, how to choose the right property manager for you and what questions to ask. Um, and I think it's very important for people that are going to invest interstate, don't get emotional about it. This is a business. If I have the right people on my team, they're going to manage my property for me just like I would if I had a business. Um, and And what is that property going to do for me? So I think it's People are coming around now to the idea of, yes, interstate, you know, it doesn't matter really where it is as long as it's going to do what it needs to for me um, and it's becoming a lot easier. I've managed uh, complete renovations from my home even though it's interstate my property and that's because I've got good people on my side in that state to be able to do that. Um, You've just got to really, I guess, have a really good team and make sure that you have a good team on your side to do it.
1: That's the really, really powerful thing about this is that making sure that you run it like a business and uh, you take the emotion out of it and you focus on finding the right people because once you have the right people in place, you can pretty much invest anywhere across you know the world, the country and so forth because I've spoken to Lots and lots of investors who have invested in the States, like the United States, in the UK and stuff like that and it's only because they have great teams in place. So that's a really, really good point that you've raised for this and I hope that uh, yeah, this really helps for a lot of generally for other investors who are a bit scared about investing overseas or uh, into interstate as well across Australia. Okay, so we've got another question from Alistair. He says, I- I'm in my early 30s and I'm single earning $75,000 a year from my job. I'm looking to increase my portfolio from two investment properties to three investments and possibly a fourth. I'm sitting around about 90% LVR and I read somewhere that around the $1 million market gets quite difficult and I've heard that the portfolio is almost impossible to get over $2.5 million. How can I move forward to purchase the next investment properties?
0: I think the very first thing is to look at the total scenario. So one of them is, I mean, in investing, mindset is the biggest thing, right? Having a really good mindset. I can see straight away that it sounds like he has a limiting belief, which somebody else has instilled in him. And that is that he has, you know, you can't really, it's going to be hard to go over a million dollar worth of portfolio and $2.5 million is going to be almost impossible or if impossible as well. Um, I've built portfolios uh, from my clients all the way up over the 4 million and even into the $5 million range and they just work normal jobs. So, you can do it, but it does take hard work and it does take a lot of sacrifice and time to build a portfolio as well. It doesn't happen overnight. A lot of people think that they could build a two, three million dollar portfolio in two to three years. You know, unless you earn very good incomes, you have, you know, some good equity, it's going to take a long time to be able to build your portfolio, but it's a sacrifice you need to make. And you need to look at it from a position and say, Is this the best position that I can be in today? Have I maximized my position so that I can grow in the future? Um, And that's what you really need to ask yourself in terms of his scenario. So he's in his 30s, 75000 and he's single. He's got two properties. He wants to buy what, three or four. One thing that I've noticed is his leverage, his LVR is quite high. So you need to, we need to look at the first two properties and say, are they cross-collateralized? He seems like he's quite high in terms of LVR. So he may have gone to a bank and may have cross-collateralized those two properties to be able to get himself to 95% LVRs. Um, so being that he's got quite a, a high LVR in terms of he only owns roughly 5% of the total portfolio of those two properties, I'd be more focused at that point to be able to reduce the risk, which is paying down some debt and I would be doing that via an offset account. I'd just be paying money into an offset account um, to be able to safeguard myself. Depending on how much cash buffer he has, I'd be trying to get that LVR down. And naturally, that LVR will come down as the property prices grow as well where he bought. Um, but I'd be trying to get that LVR down to 80%. Typically, I don't like to buy or build. Like When I'm building a property portfolio, I might put down a 10 or 12% deposit on a property. But I typically don't take it beyond 80% of its value after I've purchased that. So that property needs to grow in value by anywhere from 8 to 10% so that I own 20% of that property and then I'm going to leverage out of that from whatever it is. When I'm doing that, what it's doing is meaning that I'm going to have a 20% stake in my property portfolio at all times unless it's a new property that I just entered into the property portfolio. So your overall LVR is lower and it's going to be more favorable to the bank's um, and then building the portfolio from there. So it does come down to a scenario, two scenarios. One of them is the property portfolio has got to grow over time and it's reducing your LVR. You're going to have to have uh, you know, money saved and you're going to have to sacrifice to save some good money to build the portfolio to get to the second and third one. Um, oh, sorry, to get to the third and fourth one. But I think his most important thing is to get his uh, overall leverage down and to not, to not expose his portfolio to too much risk.
1: Walsh explains why it is hard to start your portfolio and why the first two properties can be the hardest to buy.
0: The first one and two properties in anyone's portfolios is it's the hardest properties to buy. Um because you you it's like it's like having trees out in the backyard and you want to go grow an apple tree. If you've only got one apple tree to pick the apples from, you're going to pick only, you know, a few apples. Whereas if you had five of those apple trees, you're going to have a lot more apples at the end of the day. Very much the same as properties, right? If you have one property you're only going to get the equity from the one property so you're relying on it. Um, when you get to say 10 properties or 5 properties, you've got a lot more equity to cherry pick from each property uh, to be able to build the portfolio so um, it, it becomes a little bit easier over the times once you have built the portfolio a little bit larger maybe 3 to 5 properties to be able to extract equity.
1: We delve into how important the structure of your portfolio is and Walsh shares with us the different scenarios where this comes into play.
0: It depends on what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to do. Um, a lot of people jump into trusts. They want to they want to buy in trusts. And I've talked to my accountant in length about this that has uh, grown portfolios. So he has some portfolios under his belt in terms of his clients that have over 200 properties. So um, quite large portfolios and he's very property orientated. And he says the same thing to me. He says people try to jump into trust for the reason that they think they're doing the right thing. but it depends on your situation and what you're trying to achieve in the trust. Now, trust might be good for development and you know distributing income and all that type of stuff. But a lot of people buy one, two, or three properties and then they're like, I've got to start a trust. Well, you've got nothing to uh, start a trust for. You know, you haven't created significant amount of wealth to be able to distribute heaps of and heaps of income. So what are you trying to achieve at that point? Buying in your personal names, you can do it a lot quicker. So you can you can build your portfolio a lot quicker, and not, you, you're a lot more nimble at that point. You can still distribute income, especially if you've got a you know a partner and you're fifty 50 in the in terms of how you actually uh, own the property, in terms of how you own it. So you can do very similar things in your own name to uh, a trust, but you need to work out you know if I'm if I'm in a trust, why am I in a trust? Because it costs money to set up, it costs money to keep running. And at the end of the day, it needs to be benefiting you in some way. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm doing it for protection. Well, it's not a foolproof way to protect yourself. And not only that, 99% of people aren't in the line of work where they're personally getting sued. So why are people trying to take your assets from you at that point? Are you a surgeon? You know, maybe that's then a, a really good case of we need to look at structuring in trusts and different entities to be able to protect. That person or that individual, but the guy that you know works at Bunnings, I don't think anyone's really suing him and, and trying to take his assets. So I don't think that that person is really—it's not benefiting him in many ways, you know, unless he has significant amount of wealth that he needs to, um, you know, do something with.
1: You need to have a handle on your own situation, and talking to an expert is a way that can help you decide what the best move for you is
0: there's even an added thing where like land tax and that comes into a lot of trusts don't have land tax thresholds. So now you've got to pay land tax as well as the setup of the trust, as well as the ongoing of the trust. So if you know somebody comes to me and says, Daniel, I can't afford more than $100 a week or $50 a week in terms of you know one property, well, why would you buy a trust that's going to add to the extra negative costs that you're going to have because you're not going to get land tax thresholds and all of that? So yeah, it really just comes down to the individual situation. How much wealth have they got? What are they trying to do with that wealth? And how long are they going to keep the property portfolio for? Again, it comes down to a question of talking to your accountant in your specific, um, I guess, situation because your accountant would know you better than anyone and how he would like to structure you. But I know in 99% of cases, unless you've got uh, a portfolio, you know, once you start getting up to around that, Anywhere from say maybe three to five million, that's when a lot of people start to then go into trust entities uh, for different reasons.
1: Hey, just a quick one before you go. I've asked Daniel Walsh to do something special for you just to say thank you for listening. When you sign up to get a copy of his ebook, 5 Steps to High Performance Property Investment, you'll get 50% off any future strategy sessions with Daniel. He will personally put together a property plan during the session which is the first step to building a successful portfolio. To claim your special offer, simply visit yourpropertyyourwealth.com.au or text 0431251609 end quote, property invest story.